When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. Today is the uh, last day I won't have a camera, I promise, because I'm getting my computer later today, my, my good laptop, and I'll have it at home uh, while I ride out my quarantine. Welcome to Pre-Market Prep, though. I'm Spencer. There is Dennis. Joel will be on in just a sec. Today, uh, the theme of the show is problems that technology can't fix, whether it's Southwest Airlines. Uh, canceling flights uh, this weekend for uh, uh, well, pick pick your reason really because uh, they they said everything. Um, it could be inflation, it could be su- <coughs> supply chains, but uh, that's the theme of the show: problems that technology cannot fix. We'll talk uh, Alibaba, which is higher again this morning somehow, some way. Um, so that trade is, is is still on the trade from last week uh we'll talk to tim quas at 8 35 as we always do every monday and then i i hope i think we're joined yeah matt hammond will join the show at nine i i uh yes nine o'clock today to uh preview the weekend in, in ipo land and uh give us his thoughts on the market uh as we head into i guess as we head into earnings season can you believe it earnings season starts this week we get the banks is it Wednesday and Thursday? I think I think it's Wednesday and Thursday. We're gonna get the bank. So, good morning, good morning, good morning. Uh, Joel is here. Before I bring Joel on, and before we bring Joel's charts on, I want to remind you all that the next pre-market prep Saturday extravaganza is this Saturday, this week. It's in what's that? Five days from now? Yeah, October sixteenth, nine a.m. Eastern Time. Premarketprep.com. That's how you find it, premarketprep.com. To learn more, Joel, Dennis, Rob Friesen, three and a half hours, Saturday morning. Also, the Benzinga Cannabis Conference is this week, Thursday and Friday. Go to bzcannabis.com to learn more about that. Now, Joel, we'll bring on your charts, sir. Good morning, and tell us how we're doing this morning. Uh, Good morning, Spencer. Uh, We're in the red. By 21 and a half handles at uh, 4361. Uh, gold, or excuse me, crude's making a big move to the upside. Uh, that's not good for inflation. It's up 243 at 8179. Gold is in the red by 230 at 1755.10. So much for inflation hedge. Silver's in the red by 13 cents at 2257. Bitcoin's having a good day, working its way up towards 60K. That's up $1,915 at $57,095. And Ethereum, taking a little breather, down $49.75 at 
and that awkward silence. Hello. No, that's me. Sure. Sorry, I'm try. I'm trying to. Sorry, <laughs> I, I, my my computer. When I go on mute like that, my computer is slow to bring me back. So, I, I apologize. Um. So, well, f- first off, before we go any further, we have to wish Dennis a happy Thanksgiving. Today Birthday. is Canadian Thanksgiving. I'm not sure yes, what that means. I just know it's a thing. So, well, it's the same as your Thanksgiving. It's just on a different day. Oh, it is. Yeah. Okay. We give thanks. Okay. Okay. So, so it's okay, Thanksgiving. Thanks. Okay. So happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. And for I work here for you us. on my Thanksgiving. Look at me. I I know the bond market is closed, but Dennis is not. Yeah. So yeah, I'm here for you, no matter what. The bond market is closed. The Canadian markets are closed, but the U.S. markets are open, and I'm here for you to tell you my thoughts. And you're not so, going to like them if you're long tech stocks. I'll tell you that much. So happy Thanksgiving, happy Columbus Day to all. Let's start with like the the headline of the weekend, and then it, it'll go into that conversation, which sure. was Southwest Airlines uh, had all kinds of problems. Uh, if you're flying them, I'm sure you know about it. Uh, they canceled uh, over 1,800 flights this weekend, uh, dramatically more than any other airline. American canceled 63, Delta canceled three. United canceled six um, and Southwest basically blamed it on, they basically took a, um, a dart and they threw it at the dartboard as to why they blamed, they, they blamed it on staffing shortages. They blamed it on extreme weather and they blamed it on air traffic control regulations. Um, and that led to almost 30% of their schedule on Sunday getting canceled. I was reading it was, you know, the conspiracy theorists are out there saying <clears throat> that all the, um, that there's a, they don't want to mandate the vaccine. So you had a walkout of a lot of pilots that don't want to ban vaccine mandates. I'm not sure if there's truth to that or not, but and I, has I mean, Southwest it, commented it, it, on any of that? It's like anything. It's like, I'm sure there are some truth to it. I know like the airlines just, I don't remember who, I think it was Southwest and United just had to lay off, laid off a bunch of people who do, who didn't want to get the vaccine. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I, that's not, that's not what, that's not what they said. That's not what Southwest is that's saying. Not, that's not what Southwest said. Well, that's right? what everybody on Twitter is saying. So All I'm right. not sure oh. what is true or what is not true here. And I've, you know, this is an issue though, obviously the one thing we can say is you have seen a little bit of a reopening trade in the last few weeks. It has fizzled out in the last few days, last few trading days. You can look at American Airlines starting to approach back to the lows of the move. Um, LUV has been one of the, it had a 10% move, over a 10% move in a week and a half. Now we're pulling back. I don't know where this headline goes. It's not good when they're canceling flights. It's going to piss off a lot of people. But not only that, it's like, okay, well, you know, what is the real reason why? Are you covering up the real reason why? Or are those real reasons something to get concerned that there's going to be more flight cancellations? Because that's not good. You know, obviously, well, I, I don't know. I I think like the, the fact that it was so concentrated on on one airline, Southwest is not the only airline it was company 2, that thousand yeah, flights they canceled though. Right, right. So, I mean, yeah, a, I'm saying it's not good for Southwest Airlines. Right, right. But the fact that it wasn't the fact that it's the problems were mostly confined to them when they when they're not the only airline to mandate vaccines. So or you else. think that's maybe not the case. It's just I, 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 tweeting. I, I, I'm sure there's maybe some truth to that, but I, yeah. I don't think that's probably the main reason. Um, 
and, and Jake in the chat says he has a family member that works in there. He thinks it's 100% about the airlines. I saw a lot of people talking about the vaccines. I saw a lot of people talking about it. So I don't know what's true and what's not true, but. Well, all we know regardless is, is again, of, of the, of the, of all the flights canceled this weekend, 99% of them were from one airline. So never yeah. a good thing. Uh, that's why the stock is down this morning. I would presume. Yeah. And there, and a lot of people, you know, obviously when you're canceling those, that amount of flights, there's a lot of people that get stranded. Obviously, it's yep. holiday weekend up here in Canada. Um, but, you know, it's a uh, weekend. People are traveling, doing things. And obviously, yeah. you know, it ticks you off when your flight gets canceled. And then you hear about 1,000 flights getting canceled. Like, holy. So, obviously, stock gets slammed here today. When you got these kind of headlines, it depends what the next headline looks like. Now, all of a sudden, you got headline risk on this, Joel. And, you know, we talk about different stocks. I try to often trade away from the news. If I'm trading technically, I try to trade away from the news for the most part. Because we know when you got a next headline, you can say, oh, I got a nice setup here. Well, bad headline comes, and that can drive it down. Headlines trump all. So, you know, you had a stock that was trending higher. You had a stock that was showing some life. And now, all of a sudden, bad headline hits. And the stock, you know, is going to probably challenge, you know, that 50-88 low from a, a week and a half ago. So, what are you saying, Joel? Maybe not today. Uh, yeah. That'd be, you know, that'd be down another buck yeah. sixty. Um, if you've been waiting for a gap fill here, uh, this little gap on September thirtieth down to fifty two and a quarter, uh, you did get it in the pre market. Who knows if you're going to get it in the regular session? But that, if you look at the upper right chart, I mean, man, you're falling into no man's land here. And Dennis mentioned a pair of lows at fifty one. So if you want to get it on the cheap. Uh, you know, maybe not today, but, you know, over the next couple days. Um, also, Southwest has a has a history of like coming out with some bad news and then coming out with some more bad news. And, uh, you know, 18, <laughs> they, they do. OK, uh, I... so, you know, if you want to hang out for that fifty one dollar area, um, I think you'll get a look at it. I think you'll get a look at it eventually, too. And And also. Uh, you know, I'm not sure what their their hedging strategies are, uh, but you talk about, you know, the biggest expense for airlines is fuel costs and yeah, uh, crude trading up. Had crude's trading up 240. Um, like I said, I don't know their hedging strategies. So a lot of a lot of negative things here in the airlines where the reopening we, we discussed the reopening trade where that's at. I don't know. But uh Hands off on the airlines today. If you want to get cheap, put a bit out there at fifty one oh five. If you're looking for a gap fill on the upside, <laughs> you need to get to fifty three fifty two. So I don't but, know. That would take but, a big pop. The people making money, and this is a good segue into our whole next probably twenty five minute discussion. The people who are making money trading right now are the people who are buying commodities, who are buying physical assets. If you're the user of commodities, that's not what you want to be in right now. Because you are seeing inflation, something rampant in certain areas. I do believe we're going to see $100 oil here in the near future. Where are we now on crude? Uh, the front month can- contracts are uh, $81.74. Yeah, I think you're going to see 100 bucks. I mean, why not? You know, And I'm not a big crude long-term bull, but I will tell you right now, this is the type of environment where you're needing physical stuff. And I was talking, obviously, Thanksgiving weekend here in Canada. You're seeing lots of family. Lots of my wife's family is in trades. And you start talking with them and talking about different things. But even just talking uh, with with another friend, he had a Tacoma that he bought um, four years ago. 
2016 or 2017 Tacoma um, goes to the deal. He bought it for 42,000, four years ago, brand new. Goes to the dealership talking a trade-in. You know how much they'll give him for his truck? So for, he paid 42000 for the truck four years ago. Guess what the dealership will give him for it? The dealership. We know. We'll let the check. Yeah, you guys know. $38,000. So a four-year-old truck now, you can get almost what you paid for it four years ago. That's called, when we're having problems, getting trucks. That's called demand and short supply. And Mitch, you're in the background. You were saying the same thing was happening with you, so you can verify this conversation. Mitch, are you hiding back there? He, he's lurking. I just want to say that Luke is in the chat saying he had his flight canceled over the weekend. So there I don't you know go. Where he, so it's hitting at home here, I, too. I, 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 I don't know where Luke's at. I mean, he might be stuck in Florida. Stranded. You were, I, maybe. Um, and, and uh, yeah, so so used cars, right? So used cars. But but we know that, right? We, we know that's, that, that's been – But it's not – mind-blowing that you you know you think about they what they used to always say you know even go back three four years ago you buy your brand new car as soon as you drive it off the lot it loses like a quarter of its value yeah. not in covid not in this uh, new environment here now now you have to drive it for four years and it holds its value what are we well, in man the crazy thing is is you saw this happening what what five four or five months ago right started happening uh, but it's going rampant right now like I know. So, so it hasn't people paying above sticker prices for stuff. So it hasn't on, worked on itself cars. out in five months. That's my point. It hasn't. Is it going to work itself out? That's the question. Like you know, the supply chain. It's not just you know chips. It's everything. Like talking to uh, you know a plumber friend as well over the weekend. Same thing. Can't get you know can't get the apex or, or whatever it is the piping. Can't get that too. The ABS piping can't get that either. You know they can't get a lot of things. So they're using different things. They're using more expensive things. I mean, you know, it, it, it's an issue. So, Dennis, you know, Dennis, not Dennis, just an issue Dennis, for, did for they, chips. Did, did they say why? Did they say why? I don't know if anybody knows why on a lot of this stuff. They don't know? Like, I, I don't know. Do we even know why? Like, the chip shortage. Do we know all the reasons what's behind? We always talk about it and who's impacted by it. Do we never really know, like, the deep down reasons why? Is it all demand? Well, or is it well, all just we just we can't we can't ship it over? Is it all stuck on ships? Is that what well, it is? Well, well, for the chips, it was it was one of those things where like demand went to zero and then it went back. It came back like overnight, right? Like so that everyone shut down and then all the all the manufacturers and they weren't prepared to ramp back up, right? So so now they're playing catch up. And also, you had that fire. You had that fire yeah, at the factory yeah. that makes half of the chips for cars in the world in Japan. That didn't help yeah. things. Um, so maybe it's just a question of like everyone prepared for a long winter during COVID, and when demand came back two months later, then everyone was caught off guard. Um, but you're right, Dennis. No one really. I'm sure that's only one reason. That's all, there's, there's a number of reasons. Yeah, there's a dozen like reasons. And then yeah. you can go back into the labor shortage. Probably one of the main reasons for all of it, because we we have a labor issue. We have a labor issue. Yep. Where there's a lot of people who obviously are not going to work for minimum wage anymore, or they're not going to work and, and you know, or they're just not, they, there isn't the demand to do it. And COVID did change like the mindset too, where family is more focused. So if you were close, I talked to my, my neighbor. Now here's a, a prime example, three years from retirement, COVID hits, like not taking early retirement. So there, you're seeing that, you know, where people are close to retirement and they're like, okay, I'm out too. Because you know what? Family's more important. You start to like prioritize what's important in life. This whole you know, pandemic did that, changed the mindset to a certain extent, too. A lot of people live to work. Uh, but now you're seeing a lot more people, 
you know, that's saying I just work to live and you know what? I want to live. So, you know, where I you're, mean, see, you know, where you're seeing the, uh, the, the biggest shortages and the, the most concerning. Where's that? Costco. Health, health, that's scary too. Healthcare that's scary industry. Too. Healthcare. Yeah. James with the big yeah. word stagflation. You can't I, I get think, think, you can't get people. You can't get nurses in hospitals now. They are yeah. pay, they're they're actually paying travel nurses. Like I I didn't believe the figure that Lisa told me that they were paying people to go out to you know Billings, Montana or something. But people are like they're they're going. They're going to be moving, to uprooting their family for three to six months, and they're making more in that time period than they did in in two or three years. Just because of the shortage. That that's the biggest economic impact that people don't realize from COVID is the toll that it's taking on our healthcare system. That's... And and people who wants to be a doctor now? Who wants to be a nurse now? Who want yeah. you know? So you have shortages so... now and you have people not wanting to go into the industry. I mean, that that is my biggest concern. The, the so, question so, is, so, my... is this yeah. Uh, sorry, Spencer. I was going to say, is this okay. all transitory? Is this really all transitory? And like I'm asking, you know, chat, you guys, do we get through all these shortages? Do we get through this labor shortage? And, and we look out like take a crystal ball and try to project it 12 months out, 24 months out. Are we past these problems? And do we go back to business as usual? Or is this a new world where it's actually going to be, you know, inflation? We're going to have inflation involved. We're going to have labor shortages for the prolonged, you know, for, for a longer period of time. And, you know, the big word that James just said, stagflation, is that on the table here? I know you brought it up last week too, Joel. It's a word that we have not used, you know, and I have not, you know, heard from in probably decades. You think about stagflation. And if you just don't, if you've never heard of stagflation before, we can just go and give you the actual meaning of it. Textbook. Just read it so I don't butcher it. But, you know, stagflation. Obviously, increasing prices is a big part of it, as I Google it. So a situation in which the inflation rate is high, the economic growth rate slows, and unemployment remains steadily high. Well, the unemployment rate is low, but the main reason the unemployment rate well, is it's, probably it's, it's low. It's lower, lower than it was. It's still and, high. Okay, we can say it's lower, but it's not high for one reason, is that you because to be included in the unemployment and to be included in labor figures, you have to be seeking work. We have a lot of people who aren't seeking work. So maybe, you know, it's not as high of employment, but it's not going to show up in unemployment stats if a lot of people are saying, I don't want to go back to work. So yeah. that's, you know, what throws off the stats too. So is stagflation the question? Because we don't really have, you know, steadily high unemployment here right now. But at the same time, if we have a lot of people that were willing to work two years ago and now they don't want to work, is that really, you know, uh, indicative of, you know, oh, just everybody that can get a job? And they can. I mean, you can get a job if you want to get a job, but. Is stagflation on the table? I, I I don't know. I think part of what makes this so difficult is like unlike with the pandemic, like there was a lot of unknowns last spring. But the one thing we did know was like, hey, if we ever get a vaccine, then that will change the game. And then it it, it took it took six months, but we got a vaccine, right? Um, yeah. But with this, literally no one knows. Like, nobody knows. And that's part of the problem is because no one knows, there are no expectations. You can't set, you, you, you can't set the bar and, and then try to come in above or below because there, there is no bar. It, like, what are you going to say? Six months? That's, that's a guess. That's a guess. 
it'll all be better in six months. We don't. We have no idea. There is no. There is no frame of reference for anyone. All you have is the word transitory, which just means temporary. But temporary is like is is. And there's nothing else that they can say. We've said this on the show a dozen times in the last month. There's nothing else they can say. They can't come and say this is sticky and sticking around forever because then they have no excuse. They need to start jacking rates because the only way you can really control inflation is to start raising interest rates. And you can't raise interest rates because the whole entire U.S. economy and the world economy, for that matter, unless you're in China, is built on debt. So you can't start raising rates significantly. You can raise them a quarter of a percent. You can raise them a half a percent. Is that going to slow down inflation? Probably not. Start raising a two, three, four percent. It does, but then everybody loses their homes. Then you got major problems going on. I, so I, just, I mean, they're really stuck. I don't know even. I don't even see the solution here. That's uh, why they keep just digging the hole. Okay. So so now here's the question because no one really knows, right? It, it'll work itself out when it works itself out. Whether it takes two months or two years, who who, who knows? But are we in the environment now where technology stocks, because technology companies have been the, your best play for the last 12 years, um, where they are not your leader? Because these are all problems. Most of these problems, most, not all, but most of them are problems that are irrelevant of technology, right? Technology can't, can't fix, fix a it. supply chain shortage. You can't fix a labor shortage. Or maybe can a little bit, but it, it, it you know, it, it, it can't. These are problems that are not solved by a new app. You know what I mean? Or like a Zoom video conference call, right? It's like it's bigger than that. So, so the question is, do you, do you want to, like Dennis talked about commodities, right? Being in an inflationary yeah. environment, do you do you want to own technology stocks right now? And when I say right now, I mean like going out twelve months. Because we all man, listening to you two guys go on, I don't, I don't want to own a share of anything. <laughs> yeah, but but that doesn't work though. If you go to cash, Joel, you are definitely getting killed. So you know, I have traders in our front bright trading. They make pretty good money, and they're like, I got to get buy. They're buying like they're still buying houses. They're still buying stuff. They like scared to be, and they're buying crypto. They're scared to be in cash. There is literally a lot of people that are actually scared to be in cash, and I'm kind of one of them. I mean, I have quite a bit of cash sitting there, and I'm like, it's been the wrong play because, yeah, you know, the markets haven't really gone anywhere, but my cash is getting just slowly, de- you know, de- deteriorates in value because yeah. of inflation. So here's, it, here's it, the, only, the, the, the safest play, really, if you want to fight inflation, is a commodity trade. And it's to own stuff, real estate. It's to own stuff. But then again, you're paying, you know, in a bubble. You're paying in a bubble pricing for some of this stuff. But that's been where the money's been made in physical assets. Used cars. Who makes money on their used car? Who makes money on their used car? We had three people when we were having that conversation in the chat saying they sold the car that they bought for more than what they paid for it. Who makes money? What environment are we in when you make money on your used car? Used boats started last year. It's incredible. We had a couple cars come up, leases over the last few years. And I was just, you know, and I looked at the, the this is really before, a couple of them we bought before COVID. And I was like, and I never do that. I was like, oh, you can't, you know, you're getting ripped off if you're buying a car after you lease it for a couple of years. And I'm like, I don't care. I own the car. And then uh, we did that. I mean, we also have very, very low mileage on them. So yeah, and Dana is going to do the same thing. Actually, you know, she's got a, a lease coming up. She goes, yeah, I would get a new car. There's no cars out there. You know, boom, throw the cash down and. Driving it, you know, driving it into the ground. But uh, 
man, you guys, I mean, okay, actually, though, okay. The, an ARK investment is going to be if if we do stay, if the inflation stays, that's the way wrong. So it's going to be high growth tech that gets hit the most. And why again? Because I want to explain it to people who are new to you know to new to the show. We've explained this before, but if you have an inflationary environment. High growth tech is a play on future earnings. Those future earnings are worth a lot less in a high inflationary environment because cash today, because you can spend the cash today, is worth a hell of a lot more than cash tomorrow. So when you're buying these high growth plays that don't, or they're just burning cash, those aren't the what does well in an inflationary environment because those future earnings are worth less. And that's why you're seeing tech stocks, some of the future, you know, some of the smaller tech stocks really struggle in this environment where obviously you're seeing the commodity stocks like ExxonMobil and Chevron. And, you know, the steel stocks have come back off a certain extent, but still up significantly. And full disclosure, I'd be a buyer of steel stocks right now because I think they pulled back enough. I do think they start to eventually go back to the highs and the move. Um, that, that's where if you believe that the inflation isn't going away. That's, you know, if you if you think this inflation and, and Kathy Wood's been on CBC and she thinks it is transitory and that's why she's positioning herself and buying these high and she might be right. If the inflation goes away, she'll end up getting paid for that call. So right now your investing strategy, long term investing strategy is all about whether you believe this inflation is, you know, going to be sticky and stick around for a long time or whether it really is transitory. And one year from now, you know, we actually have falling prices or we have you know, we get back to business as usual. I don't know if anybody has the answer to that. They'll go up. They'll go up. But when they start to come down, they won't come down at the same rate that they went up. It's hard for prices to go down. It's labor. So one thing, people are asking more money for their jobs and they're getting it. How many people take a pay cut? You don't often. You might be able to get your gas price down a little bit, but you don't get a lot of people taking a pay cut. So I I think any increase in labor costs is permanent. You're not going to get the labor costs back down. So as you increase, you know, people are paying more. They have to to get the people. If they don't want to work, they got to offer more money. I mean, those are more permanent pricing. Now, you know, is the price of lumber come down? Yes. Has the price of some other commodities come down? Yes. Some, you know, obviously oil? No. Oil's starting to break out and go up again here. And I've never been an oil bull, but I'll tell you, in this environment, in an inflationary environment, oil's probably going to continue to go up. Maybe the bottom line here is you got to own physical things. I I, I don't think yeah. the answer the, the answer is not going all cash. Just to be clear, I don't think that's the answer. But it's but maybe been a it bad is. Play. Maybe I, I maybe it's owning physical things over digital things for now. For now. For and, but the digital assets are doing pretty good too because crypto is the new gold, and you can uh, see okay. it. And this is just right. this is incredible in itself too. And it'll it, every single economics book is a fail on this one because in the best inflation hedge is supposed to be gold and silver and this has just been incredible we've got inflation like we haven't seen in 25 years and gold and silver is going down i mean that's incredible in itself i i, I don't is there, there is there a potential know. catch-up trade eventually in gold and silver and we had this question last week or is it just the fact that maybe gold and silver isn't the gold and silver it used to be yeah well, how long is it until gold starts trending on twitter Right, because everyone wants to play the catch-up trade in gold. That's going to happen. That, that's going to happen so you this think, year. Would you? That's so going to happen this year. Right now, I mean, gold is cheap from a relative to itself. I mean, we are sitting near the. We're sitting near the twenty twenty one. for off twenty twenty one lows. I, I'm, I'm, I'm calling it now. That's going to happen this year. So, should we be buying gold? Y- yeah, well, I don't own any. Full disclosure, I own me I neither. Zero. Me neither. 
I don't know if I really want to. I own a little bit of crypto. Look at the Bitcoin. Doesn't look like it wants to go back down. Looks like it wants to make new highs to me, that chart. Yeah, I'm looking at I don't know. This isn't a very interesting conversation. Obviously, we have our investors hat on big time here right now. We're yeah. trying to project out, which isn't my cup of tea, you know, projecting prices a year from now. But it's an interesting discussion. So I, I'm, I you know, know, there's a lots of, you know, the textbook would say if we're really going to this and this inflation sticky, the textbook would say the economics textbook would say buy gold, and buy silver. But that hasn't been working. And why if it hasn't been working up to this point in time, is it going to just start working all of a sudden? Maybe there's a catch up trade or maybe it's just not what it used to be. I, I bet you there's a catch-up trade only because it's the most obvious thing in the world. Let, let, let's go to China for a second here because that trade, I I don't know how long I thought it was gonna is, is gonna go on for, but it's still going. I guess I thought maybe two or three days, but oh, no. we're, we're we're on week two now, yeah, and and uh, it's still going. This wow. Morning. Yeah, what a turnaround. I mean, Alibaba, we called that. I did not think it was going to go up. I said eventually it's going to have a 10-point squeeze. Had it two days later. That 10-point squeeze has now turned into a 30-point squeeze. It was too easy on the shorts. Now all of a sudden it's like everybody's looking at Alibaba thinking, man, I want a pullback in that thing to get in, including myself. I have some in the long-term portfolio, but I wanted more on for a trade, and I never did it. Should have did it, and hopefully some people did, but wow. I mean, there's been a turnaround, not only obviously in Alibaba, but you go to the EEM, you go to the FXIs, maybe a better example. And I mean, we're up significantly three days in a row now. So this is, you know, September was a really ugly month for the FXI. And basically, we've almost got all the losses back from September in the course of three days. So nice bounce. Uh, it's, uh, I can't, I saw the name of the company on CNBC, like Mutran, Mertran or something like that. They were expecting like a huge fine on that company, and it was only half of what the it's a I think believe a, a, a Chinese technology company. So once again, you know, it's the news. I mean, absence of bad news and or good news is what's uh, propelling uh, the the Alibaba here. I you or did check somebody the name. see Jack Ma? I mentioned that. What did I mention? That? <laughs> the, riding on a scooter down on uh, main street <laughs> where's a picture of him on social media <laughs> he was on instagrams when he caught him on instagram that's why it's going up he was riding on a scooter uh it did that's open a, that's a joke it's not true the 4 a.m open was uh a little bit overzealous there we got over 172 and now we're leaking a little bit i'm not sure if there's anything on the dailies at 172 once again just a news-driven market here. If we did a get a, if we did get a pop to one seventy-one sixty-four, just technically speaking, that was your high on September tenth. Uh, but just starting to come come in a little bit. It looks like that pre-market high looked safe, and then man, now you just got another daily gap to way down here to one sixty-two seventy-eight. So kind of hard unless you're just taking this thing overnight to catch these moves and. Sometimes you, you catch it the right way. Spencer, you were talking on the on the show on Friday. Like, once you just lay out a short at some level on this thing, and it's yeah. just like, man, yeah. it's come down. So, I, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe 172 know. is the number, but it's coming in. Maybe you get a nice pullback. Maybe somehow you make a high in this area. I don't know, 172, 173 or something. Then you get some more bad news and you drift lower and you get a chance to buy a little bit of a discount. But uh, since Charlie, since Charlie made that purchase, we yeah, talked yeah. about that, I think on um, 
Tuesday Thursday, or Wednesday, or, Wednesday, yeah, Thursday, I wrote, about, I wrote uh, Triple D's call up on that one. You had to find risk down there, and now that the find risk 141, 142 is when we were talking about it, and uh, that the find risk is looking pretty good right now. It, shorting volume now is the equivalent of buying it like a month ago or two months ago, right? <laughs> it's just it, it's hard, yeah. like. Yeah, you're shorting a rocket ship. You're in rocket ship mode. I don't like shorting rocket ships. I mean, we were up 10, up 10, up <laughs> basically up 10 bucks every day for three days. Go 140 to 170. Incredible move. It looks to me like that 178, uh, but I thought it might stall out at 160 and then just <laughs> cut like that level through like a hot knife through butter, but rocket ship blasting through the ceiling. 178, 179, I would think would slow it down, but who knows? I mean, I'm still long it, long term account, pullbacks, maybe you get interested, but. I'm more interested in buying the commodity stocks on pullbacks, to be honest. I'm more interested in buying, I mean, some of the steel stocks. I'm not, you know, like U.S. Steel Zone and CLF. Yeah, what is that? I mean, I what is that? Yeah. I own CLF. Cool. I own say, though, look at that. That's an ugly chart. The steel cool. stocks have not participated. They have not been participating. And maybe, you know, they. and, and let's give, give them credit where credit is due. I mean, Cleveland Quest, let's go to yeah. this one, was $5 in 2020. And it went to $25. So, you know. At a certain point, you can say, oh, yeah, it's trading three or five times earnings. But these is, you know, we've said this before. Is this as good as it gets for this environment for steel as well? But I don't know. I just think prices, pricing of commodities, including steel, may continue to go higher. And obviously, then you look at those charts and you think, okay, well, if you wanted a dip, you got a dip on these things. Uh, COF had news today. They're buying uh, Ferris processing and trading for a total enterprise value, $775 million. So they're making it making an acquisition this morning um but i'm i don't know wait that's that's capital one joel well what did you say i CLF. said uh, clf oh sorry. clf okay sorry. yeah sorry yeah, yeah. Say, we're, we're sticking uh, with the commodity what a, what, what, what a segue i'm like what cleveland yeah. cliffs yeah 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 so okay. i don't know like the, those that monthly looks pretty good to me i don't know <laughs> no still trending higher I would say if you are putting it on, we always say you can put any trade on as long as you know where your out is. It's very defined. I mean, you have look back the last three months, back in June, 1895, July low, 1851, recent low in September, 1886, 1913. You can call it four lows right in the same area. So you got below 18, maybe you cut it out. I'm long, full disclosure, I'm long Cleveland Cliffs. I've stuck it in the longer term account. I'm almost tempted to buy more. And right, I feel like I, I, I feel like I need the takeaway from this show is I need more physical world exposure. Uh, I don't know, I don't know what I don't know what yet though. But I, I don't know. I don't own any oil. And maybe any this gold. is the top on all this. I don't stuff. own I'm any have steel. The collapse coming, but I, I I, know, I, yeah, that, that's the other thing you got to look is like you know, okay, well the commodities, no one's going to be able to afford to afford the stuff and build the stuff, right? Well, eventually, no, 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 no they will. Enough. They, there is an argument there. Eventually, if prices go up enough, it does hit demand. No, no, I mean, it's the, the same totally thing will, like with lumber. Well, That's why lumber got silly and people stopped building decks and stopped building stuff until it came down to reasonable pricing. So, Joel, it I, will forward, hit I, I, I have four words for you, Joel. Ready? Buy now, pay later. There you go. With everything. Back to a firm. Look, you can bring this right back into a company. I'm bringing it back to a firm. Stock. And about the stock that Spencer, man, I know, I guess we can't use stops in this environment, but I tell you, this stock is maybe, you think about what technology stocks have done, and they've done, most of them have done a hell of a lot of nothing in the last, you know, three months. It's been not that great. You can bring up ARKK and you can say it's not been a great environment for growth tech. Like unless you're in a firm 
And Affirm has just been an absolute monster. We talked about this on the show at like $65. And I was like, I should buy some of that. And I never did. And then Spencer actually did buy some and he got stopped out. But regardless, I mean, $141 a day. Stock made a new all-time high again on Friday. No point to worrying about, you know, when stocks make a new all-time highs, you keep riding them. I bought at 100, sold at 90, like the genius that I am. Not yeah. quite. Oh, it, got, it, got, it got close to the all-time high. He actually had an all-time high. Uh, at uh, a little bit higher, one forty six ninety, but uh, that? Traded, that was back in February. Oh my gosh, Joel, you're right. I didn't even realize the firm had been hit so hard. It was back after the stock had its IPO three days yeah. after. It looks like mm-hmm. not maybe three days after on the weeklies, but one, two, three, four, five weeks after. But the other thing too is it pay later. Is are you uh, are you paying infl- inflation? Are you like? Yeah, that doesn't you, sound that great. You're paying yeah. more money later. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Well, no, but if your price is locked in, so maybe it's not. You're not actually because well, I'm, I'm asking. I, I don't know. know how it works. I I usually pay off my credit card every month, so I don't know how. Yeah, it hey, works. if your price is locked in, you're getting a better deal. I mean, somebody was saying to me, I was <laughs> maybe like, maybe that's joking. it. I was joking online for that business, but you were joking it too. Like the best business model could be, you know, buy now, pay never. And then somebody said, well, that's MasterCard's business model. I was like, oh, it actually is. <laughs> they love that when you buy a new credit card and you never pay it off and pay those 18% rates. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. So all let's right. bring it's... Tim and get his thoughts on all of this inflation talk. And he will talk market structure with us here right now. Let's do it. Good morning, I look, sir. I look forward to that every Monday. Dennis. I have to do it for the pushbackers. Uh, I mean, the day is not; com- it, it just doesn't get off to a good start unless you're doing that. So it's uh, really dark outside where you are, so it, we can't it, tell where you are right now. It, I'm assuming you're in the mountains. I am in Steamboat. Yep, Steamboat Springs, and uh, I'll tell you, it was just spectacular yesterday. The uh, so that direction is Mount Werner, which is about. 10,600 feet and it was it was it was snow covered and uh, a little crown of clouds around it and yet about halfway down the mountain the the aspens are still orange and yellow and red it was just I mean we it, I get to be here all the time and I'm still just uh, stunned by how beautiful it is so uh, that's awesome. where I am yeah yeah I see you've got uh, Jay Powell with you today yeah, a, yeah, we have special guest on the show here. We just, were asking just, him just all morning. Just for today. To, it's well, good thing you're talking about buy now, pay later. Then because that's the, I mean, that is the that is the Fed's mantra. That's true too. Spending, <laughs> right? That Don't worry too. about the cost. Just spend. That's uh, spend, that's what spend, spend. Mm-hmm. What we've had a long discussion here. We've been talking inflation. We've been talking obviously a lot of things that you know are out of our control with the supply chain. We've been talking about labor shortages. We haven't been talking that nice about technology stocks here really right. this morning because the one thing is when you have higher inflationary environment, high growth tech doesn't do as well. And we've seen that if you can look at Kathy Woods, who is a great indicator for high growth tech, it's it's actually not too far off of its 52-week low. And then you have commodities that are just blasting off, oil making new highs, looking like it wants to go to $100 a barrel. But sometimes right. you get the Tim on here and he can break down and look into the market structure and look and see what's under the hood. And that's what we want to do with you today here, Tim, is what's under the hood here. First, let's just talk technology, technology stocks in general. 
Okay. Well, and the, the point from a trading perspective for, for folks who use uh, Edge, marketstructureedge.com, uh, the whole point is we want to follow the money. Who cares, really, ultimately, where that money is going? I, I mean, I think it is, it's, uh, it's part of it being a well-informed citizen of the republic to understand how some of these things work. But ultimately, what we want to do as traders is not confuse busy with productive. A great line that I got from an Israeli uh, finance executive who told me, Tim, we try not to confuse busy with productive. And I thought, that's a useful line. <laughs> I'm going to make use of that. And it's very easy to get caught up in that, traders, where you think, well, surely tech has got to do well. And then it's not doing well. You see energy doing well. We want to follow the money and take advantage of the swells that it creates in the market and then leave before the wave disappears. So how do we think about this from uh, the standpoint of an inflationary environment? Keep in mind that inflation is nothing more than your money doesn't go as far as it used to. It's That's the way to think about it. I, Spencer and I talked, I think I was driving Spencer crazy with this, right, Spencer? I, I, went, I think it was on Thursday. Was it Thursday or Friday? I can't remember. It was, <clears throat> the days anyway, are all one to me, too. I know. <laughs> it's the same to me. Uh, but I, I like, this is my point, and we'll talk about energy, because really that's where the money has been. And I, we talked about it last Monday. I said, if you look across the dashboard at Edge, clearly the best thing is energy. Uh, I, I bought AMR and GM and Nokia. All of those did six to eight times better than the broad market. I bought and sold them all last week. Uh, again, just going where the money is. We talked about GM. I was wrong on one account. It did not become a meme stock, but I was right that it would go up six or 7%, which it did. <clears throat> and so we'll talk about where that money is going. Here's the thing to understand, everybody. You, you know, you, you want to clear a room, start talking about economics or monetary policy or even market structure. But this is the concept. It takes people and money to make stuff and to provide services. So if we want a lot of that occurring, then we have to have a stable currency. So money has to be worth something predictable. And wages have to be predictable. If, if the government intervenes and says, here, we'll give you a check, then labor becomes more scarce. There isn't enough of it. And if the Federal Reserve increases the supply of money, it takes more of it to make stuff. So those are the two things that undermine growth. If you discourage people from working and you create more money, it has the opposite effect of what, it, what the government is telling us it should have. Well, that's not the stuff we want. Prosperity always comes from knowing what the value of money is so that business can get more efficient and the cost of things can go down. That's what tech has traditionally done. A, an iPhone goes from costing a fortune to being approachable by everybody. <clears throat> How does that happen? Well, pro productivity improves. The distribution, the production of goods gets more efficient, and that, that gets very difficult in the current environment. And that's why te tech is struggling. Uh, so we want to think about this, traders, and you don't even have to think very hard about it. All you have to do really is look at the supply and demand of money. And if the supply of money to the fangs is diminishing, don't buy the fangs. Where is the money increasing? Energy and financials. Why is it increasing? I don't even care that much about it. From a trading perspective, all you need to worry about is where the money goes. Sure, I can tell you why. If interest rates go up, financials are going to perform better. If there are more dollars in circulation, the cost of energy is going to increase. And cotton, 
Cotton's at a 10-year high. Look at copper. Pick your, as you said, Dennis, look at all the commodities. Why are they more expensive? Because the denominator, money, keeps shrinking because we're creating more money than with the output that is supposed to support it. That's why this is all occurring. So if we wanted a beautiful, prosperous economy, we would want money that had stable value. It's not more complicated than that, but th that we don't have that. So we have to adapt to it, right? <laughs> That's how it is. So broadly speaking, where, where is the sentiment right now at this point, because I mentioned at the top of the show, we do have earnings seasons kind of starting this week with the bank, speaking of the financials, right. and then more so next week. So. Right, right. Let's, well, let's look at it. You know I love to do that. And traders, this is to me what makes Edge very simple, marketstructureedge.com. You can try it for free. It's a, it's a way to just take, take, take uh, two weeks and think about supply and demand. If it's not right for you, don't worry. Uh, we don't care. We don't require any commitment from you. You can just try it. So, uh, so here's here's how we think about this: uh, the money ebbs and flows, and it does so in measurable ways because of market structure, which Dennis is an expert in. Uh, the, the, that's the the rules that govern how trading works. Uh, on when I did the demo on Thursday, uh, I show I use my own interactive broker's account, and I showed everybody where how my stuff is trading. You know, where's it going and uh, how come it gets all uh, most people don't realize it's all fragmented. There isn't a lot of supply in the market, actually, but that makes it measurable. We can see supply and demand. So suppose that the market had a supply demand scale of 10. So the, the, the closer to 10 you are, the better from the standpoint of excess demand. Well, here's the broad market right now, Spencer. It's 5.1. It's almost dead even. And if we looked at that pattern over time, what we're showing here is SPY. Uh Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Uh, the State Street ETF that tracks the S&P 500 and the underlying wet, waxing and waning ebbing and flow of demand for SPY and the stocks that comprise the S&P 500. That's it. I mean, SPY is really a derivative. It trades in place of the 500 stocks in the S&P 500, so you don't have to own them all. 
Uh, but notice this, when, sentiment, when, when demand hits a peak and begins to decline, leave. You may not be exactly at the top, but you're going to know. When demand bottoms and begins to rise, I had a great week trading last week. Uh, then you can return. But return to the things that have excess demand. I'm telling you, it's not more complicated than that. So let's look at uh, let's look at our own portfolio. Wait, hey, Tim, today. just going back to that sure. chart right there. Yeah. Could you go yeah. back to that chart right there? A absolutely. Let me back it. Yeah, there you go. I uh, mean, actually, isn't yeah. that, I mean, if you're looking at like the price and then the levels right. of demand it reaches, doesn't yep. that look like you're getting lower highs in the chart and then lower highs in demand? So yes. wouldn't that give you a very, isn't that a very bearish looking chart? Uh, yes, it is, Joel. Yes, that is a very astute observation. Uh, and if you go back, let's just go year to date. We started the year with a very strong momentum market because look at the peaks. This is like the, the backbone of the continent, the Rocky Mountains. We've got, <laughs> we've got staggering peaks. Well, now the mountains are old. It looks like Vermont. I mean, they're just, <laughs> right? they're just deteriorating. And you're absolutely right. That's why I think we are at great risk. We have been in accelerating risk since April of a significant pullback. It has, it, it, there's, it's, I've used this line before. So if you, you know, and it's not because my mental faculties are deteriorating wholly. They are deteriorating, uh, but it's a great line. It's a line from uh, The Sun Also Rises, Ernest Hemingway book. And the two characters are talking and one says to the other, well, how'd you go broke? And he says, slowly, then all at once. And that, it's, a, it's how the market falls apart. It does not fall apart all at once and you go, Shazam, what happened? No, it started to deteriorate here. That, that okay. Traders, there, there are plenty of opportunities to trade. You just have to look where the money is going. If the money stops going to the whole market, is it going to tech? Is it going to consumer discretionary? Is it going to large caps? Is it going to small caps? All of that is measurable. And you just want to put yourself where it is. I only trade 30% of the days that, the, you know, the market has 252 trading days in a typical year. So 30% of the time I'm trading stuff. And, uh, and, and I've, I've crushed the broad market by following demand. Uh, but you're absolutely right. That is, Joel, you'd look at this pattern and say, well, those peaks are getting weaker and weaker and weaker. Well, that's a... That's a sign for us, traders. You should not have all of your money exposed to a market where the demand is beginning to weaken. Now you got to be very selective. And we have options expiring starting Thursday. Thursday mm -hmm. will be index options expirations, Friday, triple which, then Monday, a new series. Monday, the new series in a weakening market, it tends to be when the new series trades that the trouble occurs. And we've been having that happen repeatedly. Happened here, happened here. Happened here, happened here, happened here. Is it going to happen again? Well, I can't tell you, but you, the math would tell us, well, I should be pretty cautious around Monday the 18th. And I can't see, you can't peg the day. It's so massive. The market is so massive. You cannot predict the day that something will happen. But you could look at this and say the supply demand equation, Joel, is that you're exactly right, is <laughs> deteriorating. You're exactly right. So, Tim Quas, Tim Quas let's go, wait, let, yeah, yeah. Let's let's go look at one thing before you do that, Spencer. Yeah. Because I want to talk about a firm. Let's talk about okay. a firm, and then look. Here's the supply demand balance in this portfolio. You can see that demand is well above five, but flattening in whatever the ten components 
of this Benzinga October 11 uh, portfolio are. Energy is the lead sector. Fast trading machines that just want to fool you are the top behavior. Short volume, the supply side, the trend is up. The last few days are down. So that's not horrible, but there's something in there that's helping us. So let's go look at it really quickly. And so if I look at, you know, who's at the bottom? Palantir. You know, Palantir's a one and bottom, then 42% short, and the short trend is up. Uh, there's the closing price. It trades $5,500 at a time. Market cap's $44 billion. Key behavior, passive money, leaving. And it's in the tech sector. Well, what's the best? Well, look at the ones at the top. It's all, you know, AMR, stock I like to trade, 10 out of 10, 32% short. Uh, look, Diamondback, Marathon, Devon, Hess, all these stocks were up 10 to 11% last week. You want to go where there's excess demand. Now you'd say, what, well, they're all topped. Yeah. And I think when those deteriorate, get out. But it could give us another two, three, four days of gains in energy. How because do you know, Tim, when to get out? I mean, you come in and you can buy the tent because yep. that's the strongest stuff you'd be going into. But how do you know, like, when it's time to ring the register? Right. Key, right? Entries and exits. All trading boils down to entries and exits. So by rising demand. So, you know, I bought, I bought, uh, I, I bought GM on Monday when we, you know, I said, well, it looks pretty good. So when sentiment began to deteriorate and short volume jumped above trend, I left. You could still get some additional gains, but I'm happy with my six or seven percent gain there, and I leave. But the, you know, the always it's it's falling demand, buy rising demand, sell falling demand. It's you're it's just like surfing a wave. When the wave begins to deteriorate, your ride is over. And it's that simple. And it's not perfect. It's not perfect math. It's just better than all the other math. And that's all you need. So that's it. Buy rising demand, sell falling demand. Be very aware of options expirations and month ends because all the chairs shift one or two to, to the left or to the right. And you have to realize it's going to distort the wave. But that's how you do it. You repeat that over and over. You don't have to own 50 things. I rarely own more than four or five things at a time because I'm not smart enough to watch more than that. <laughs> but that's all you really need to do, traders. It's it's fairly simple. All right. Tim Quas joins us every Monday from Market Structure Mondays. He is the founder and CEO of Market Structure Edge, marketstructureedge.com. Tim, always a pleasure. We'll talk to you again next week. Good to see you, my friends. Have a all good right. week. Hey, it's age 52. Let's unless there's more stuff on our list, let's do some uh ticker time here. Ticker time. Um, if we can from the chat, there's a few things. We've been so in the I... discussion, there's been very few tickers coming today. So I know, but we got the first one. Martin's got SoFi going. You know what? SoFi, I, th I think SoFi got another upgrade today. I think. Did, did it get an upgrade? I haven't looked at ratings I, for I a while. I think it was like, it was, I think it was like two hours ago. I saw that. It, I'm looking at it. Or, or, did, or did I did I imagine I that? Dream it up. I thought did I? It's possible. I actually haven't um, looked at the ratings today here, uh, for the most part. So so if I trading up four percent here. I had it on for a while. I bought it at fourteen dollars. It had the nice big move to eighteen, then it pulled back, and actually I think I sold it a couple days ago because it didn't make a new high on that last candle and made me nervous. So I'm out now out of my yes. sofi. I Morgan Stanley initiated at a at an overweight and a $25 price target. Needs to get up and needs to hold over the candle to 1709. It's critical for it to do that. 
Um, it's been holding up very well, though. I mean, I, I kind of, you know, I, I was kind of on the fence on this one, but I'm, <laughs> but I did sell my my stock a couple days ago. Seventeen oh nine up to seventeen seventeen. That was your September 29th high. You're, you're pressing. You got a bid here, but uh, we'll see what happens at those two levels. If in fact it can clear 17, it's had a big run, but uh, that's where it stopped uh, twice since the end of September. We'll see what uh, happens in today's session. Pre-market highs off of close to that too. That is sixteen ninety-five. They're swinging some volume in this one today. Really good volume. All right, Levi's asking about Hylion. That's catching a downgrade. Another downgrade this morning. This one is from UBS. Downgrade to sell, giving it a five dollar price target. So this is uh, I mean, approaching a new all-time low. If it's not a new yeah. all-time low, when I say I always say just rate these ones down. When stocks are making new lows, you gotta go. And you never want to own a stock making a new all-time low, just like you never want to be short a stock making a new all-time high. Because you know what? It's all paying ahead. It's all overhead supply. And you have all the people that have finally just hit a breaking point. So, I mean, it's tough. It's been a tough EV trade for a long time for a lot of these smaller companies. Um, And you're seeing, you know, the repercussions of just too many companies trying to all do similar stuff. And you're seeing a shakeout here of who is going to be the leaders and who are going to be the laggards or the non-survivors. Helion, I want want nothing to do with this stock. 754 was the level Dennis was talking about. Uh, We have breached that level. So if you want to use that as resistance, you can. It's 21 cents away. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people would love to see the close at uh, 782, but uh, former old time low 754. Uh, here's one uh, beyond meat. Uh, now allow me to posit a theory here, and I, I know we spent 25 minutes this, this chicken morning nuggets. Talk- all right, I know we spent 25 minutes this morning talking about supply chain problems and how messed up everything is and, and how that's bad. Let's try this theory though. Supply chain problems is a bullish indicator, and here is why. It means that there is demand for your product. If you have no supply chain problems now, does that mean that no one is buying your product? I have not heard any complaints, any, uh, any, or seen any headlines about Beyond Meat shortages. Not to say they don't exist, I just haven't seen it. But um, how, how, how's that for spin? Supply chain equals is bullish because it equals demand. This Beyond Meat has been like an unbelievable stock to hold up as well as it has on veggie burgers. I just think eventually there's enough other veggie burger competition that, you know, and obviously, you know, they've done a lot of things right. The companies, you know, I've tried them. They're pretty good burgers. I just can't understand or wrap my head around the valuation. I can't understand and wrap my head. I think the story has cooled off substantially. Is there more pops? Do they get more contracts? Yeah, but every time they get a contract now, it is met with more sellers into those pops. So I think eventually the stock is going to go a lot lower. But I was said that a year ago when the stock was right around the same price, probably like $110, and it went down to like 50 Well, not, no, actually, I don't know. Yeah, nah. it, it did, because we were bearish it before even the before COVID started. And then it came all the way back and it got $221 again, which is unbelievable. The February, the uh, January of 2021 that bailed out every bag holder and every stock. If you didn't get out during that time, you missed your out. Now you look at it and you think, is this ever going back to 225? You never can say never, but I don't think so. 
I bet you if you go and you look on that day when it did go uh, trade over 225, I almost guarantee you that there was a headline about uh, a burger deal. With oh, yeah. McDonald's That's what was driving it. Some burger yeah. deal. Now they're, yeah. oh, they got a deal with McDonald's. They got a deal over here. And eventually, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, there's support. I mean, I'm sure this person is looking at it, you know, like for, from a buy perspective, a retail trade, you know, most we do. And it's most of the market's been an uptrend. You're leading on the low of the move at 98.90. You've had a couple lows around a hundred. It's holding up. So it's a low, you know, lower risk long, but you take out this 98.90, this Hundred dollar level. Your next monthly low comes in at eighty eight fifty one, and just on the upside. I mean, there's nothing exactly at one hundred five. Uh, you had a high just under one hundred five yesterday on Friday, so needs to get above one hundred five to have a sustained move to the upside. Just kind of quiet, just blah. It's just like nothing there. Kind of like the burgers. And then just to follow up from uh, from Friday, uh, someone just mentioned Dutch. Brothers, the analyst quiet period is now over on BROS. So if you look at this morning, you're seeing like a half dozen ratings on on Dutch Bros. Um, all positive, no real surprise there. Um, but here, I'll, I'll, I'll just read you off a few of them this morning. You got J.P. Morgan, uh, overweight price target of forty seven. Barclays, uh, neutral price target forty. Piper Sandler, overweight price target sixty. Baird outperform price target 56. B of A buy price target 55. Cowan outperform price target 50. So that's a range of 40 to 40 to 60 for for Dutch Brothers. I Coffee shop. Coffee shop. I, mean. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, right. leaving, I'm limiting my comments on this. I limited my comments on Friday. When we were All right, there. fine. I, I don't know. 41 and a half. You know, fine. There, fine. It's kind of hanging out. We got yeah. about 45. Maybe it starts to get interesting again, but I don't It know. had its run. You got some overhead yep. supply. Yeah, you do. 50%. I mean, for me, get back over 47, hold 47, maybe, but man, a lot of people... A lot of people stuck in this one. So recent low of the move. Uh, well, actually, you had a low last week at forty-one thirty-two. So kind of, kind of feels like a Robin Hood chart, you know. With uh, you know, you had the run up after the IPO, just blah, just like nothing, just holding, holding a level, but not really going anywhere. All right, all right. It is nine o'clock. Joel's gonna head over to premarketprep.com, which is coincidentally, this is just. Sheer coincidence that that's the same place where you'll be able to find um, the Saturday extravaganza this Saturday, 9 to 1230. So, Joel, have a good rest of your day. Dennis, again, happy Thanksgiving. Have a good rest of your day. Thank and you. Thanks for, thanks for joining us on, 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 a, on a federal holiday for Canadians. And it is time for our weekly IPO segment. Now, I'm going to bring on Matt Hammond from IPO Warriors. What we're going to do, we're going to do what we do every week, right, is we're just going to preview the week in IPO land. But this will be the last time that Matt is on right now. Starting next week, we're going to move Matt's time from 9 a.m. Eastern to around 12 p.m., around noon Eastern. Matt, good morning. Good morning, Spencer. How you doing? 
Doing great, doing great. I, I figure, you know, at noon, middle of the day, everyone is not so frazzled and stressed trying to prepare for the Open, have a little bit more time to talk about these things. So we'll, we'll run through the IPOs from last week and this week, um, and then and then that's what we'll do. So let's bring up your your your, your slides here, which there sure. they are. First, I guess what we'll start with what we always do is we'll recap last week. How was the week for you? Um, you know, the week started out pretty well. And then by Friday, I was kind of probably itching too much to, uh, to get into some IPO plays and broke some of my rules and uh, paid the price for it. So it's all right. I, uh, I wasn't too aggressive. So uh, bag holding a couple <laughs> pharma stocks that I specifically said not to play last uh, Monday. Um, maybe I need to go back and check my newsletter and rewatch the show before each trade because I often say things that and give great advice and the times when i take losses are almost always when i go against my own rules um, so discipline is an important thing and i can conti continue to remind myself and to remind others that there are certain setups that are to be avoided and certain uh, setups that are high conviction where you should go big and you know that's just part of the game part of uh, learning and uh, like the last guest said the entry and the exit, those are the two key pieces of each trade. And sometimes not making an entry is the, you know, is the wise move. But there were plenty of opportunities to take some big wins uh, last week. And also just wanted to touch back on the rescheduling. Yeah, noon sounds great. We'll have more time to go into things. I won't be trying to rush through things. Last week we did start to get into something kind of interesting. And then we had internet problems. Yeah. Uh, but I do... I do break down these, uh, both the recap of each week. I sent out a newsletter over the weekend, and you can sign up for the newsletter at ipowarriors.com. And then on usually Monday evening or Tuesday, I will send out a more in-depth preview of the IPOs for the week ahead in the newsletter as well. So the newsletter is free. Sign up at ipowarriors.com. Follow me on Twitter. I often will break, especially when there's kind of a stealth IPO or something that sneaks up on us. Those are often the most exciting plays. And I'll tweet those out. I'll send news, special newsletters on those. And you can follow me there. So if you're enjoying this content, if I've helped you make a lot of money, I think I have helped a lot of people with that. And, you know, I get, I get a lot of positive feedback, so I want to keep doing that. But if you want to get more, Go to IPO Warriors, sign up for the newsletter, and you'll get updates there. I also update you when we do shift the, uh, the schedule change, and uh, it's just a great way to stay in touch with what's going on in the IPOs. So this week we had, or this last week, we had Volcon, we had Lifetime Group, we had Thesis Therapeutics, and we had Cognition Therapeutics. So all of these were very low float except for Lifetime Group, and that wasn't really a great play. So these low float IPOs, we continue to talk about these. Volcon uh, was low float and it had sort of that buzz that we look for, that uh, it's in one of those niches where people get excited about just about anything that's EV related. So Volcon is doing EV off-road vehicles. So these are like non-street legal motorcycles and ATVs that are electric. And then that's the play. And the float was, I think, 3 million. Yeah, 3 million share float. So people gravitated towards this. It was a little bit tricky. It debuted at $9 after IPOing at $5. So that was, you know, 
I kind of like to see that sort of debut premium. It indicates that people are interested in this. It doesn't take a whole lot of demand to send an IPO that only has 3 million shares in the float into a massive run. Uh, but this one pulled a little bit of a head fake. And it was sort of just due to stupid luck that as I increased my limit order before the debut, uh, right before it went live, E-Trade, which it sometimes does, rejected my price change. Sometimes you have your price set at, say, $8, and then you see the indication price go up to $9. So you try to adjust your limit order because, you, you know, I'm trying to buy these on the debut. And sometimes E-Trade will just go, no, rejected. And now they've canceled your order. And as you scramble to put in your next order, you know, in this case, it went live. And it kind of unexpectedly went straight down into a halt. Um, doesn't take a whole lot of volume in either direction to move 10% either way and trigger a halt. So this one halted down and that's a little bit unexpected. We expect these that do kind of run off the open to do so, you know, really in the first couple seconds when they go live, they'll often halt straight up. So this one, I read the level two data and I saw a big sell uh, order down at 750. So I decided, okay, well, I will play. If, if it goes up, I'm not going to chase it. That's my second rule of trading these. My first is take profits without regret. The second is don't chase. So if this just ripped up, I would say, well, I missed it. You know, damn you, E-Trade. Um, but if it drops down, I will, you know, I will, I'll, I'll take that opportunity. I'll take that opportunity. So I said, all right, I'll place a limit order at 755. And if it debuts or if it opens out of the halt and drops, then I'll get in because I think it'll come back up. I think there's still, I saw a lot of chatter on this in social media. I could see the buy orders had some significant volume in them, especially before the debut. And so I jumped in at 755 and was rewarded by, you know, a couple halts up here. I got out at 1050. I wasn't particularly, uh, you know, I was a little bit spooked by that initial move down. But if you did follow the kind of rule of three, which I, for me is, you know, at three halts, if I see three upward halts on these, I want to be totally out. And if you did that, you got out at around 1250. If you were even greedier, um, you know, maybe you said, oh, well, I think this is going to run to 15 or 14 and you know, maybe sell half your position here, play half of it up here. But the bigger takeaway on this is, hey, when it's low float and it's not, you know, biotech, if it's something like crypto or EV or uh, we had DATS the other week. We had, if it's a Chinese random, just about anything uh, underwritten by Bostad or Network One Solutions, like you play those. So any of these super low floats that have some kind of meme-ish, um, you know, or in one of these kind of hot trend uh, niches, there's a very good chance that the social media trading groups will pick it up. They all jump in. It's very easy to send these up through a couple halts and they're great opportunities to take, you know, 50, 100, you know, percent wins. I think the one that we had before that was a big one was um, HLTH a couple weeks ago. We made a big play on and that was, again, low float. It was COVID testing devices. And when we see these, we recognize the opportunity. We have a high conviction. We play them. I mean, if you picked off a big entry at 750, you had a chance for 100% gain in about an hour's worth of trading. So th these are the nice. ones I'm looking for, especially even in a cold market. 
Lifetime Group Holdings was a, I mean, there was a win opportunity here. I didn't like it because it had a very high float, 47 million shares. It did get a Kramer pump in the morning, which can help these a little bit. Uh, then again, what, Kramer what? pump. So, so, so he, he just said he liked it? Is that all? What he said was, and this is something we mentioned on the show last Monday as well, was that, you know, this is a gym, like high-end gym memberships. Gyms, you know, a lot of gyms got shut down during the pandemic especially smaller, you know, single location venues and lifetime group was able to weather the storm. And when people return to the gyms, they're not going to have so many options as they had before. And this, you know, this is kind of like the last man standing or one of, and the idea is, well, now, now that there's not so many options and people do want to go to the gym, they want to get back in shape, uh, you know, that this will benefit from this. Uh, the, the thing that made this, sort of interesting as a play, although I just basically decided to take the day off last Wednesday, the that it opened below the IPO price. So when you see something that has a little bit of interest in it already and it opens below the IPO price, there's a very we see a lot of times that it'll fill back into the IPO price or at least, you know, close some of that gap. Uh, when the IPO traders are all, even if there's 47 million shares out there, if they're all in at 18, I don't see, and it surprises me when I see something go down from, you know, below IPO price. But in this case, from 1667, where it opened, there's less of a chance that it, that people who just paid $18 for it are going to sell it right away. Then those people are kind of like, well, you know, let's hold this and just maybe the market's just cold right now, which it was. And, you know, there were opportunities to play this for a profit. You're not going to make a ton of money. But, you know, you add up the singles, you get, you know, you score runs, you know, you can win, get wins there. But for me, this just wasn't, it still wasn't interesting enough to, um, to sit there and play it. Uh, THRX, this one I didn't play simply because as a general rule, I don't play biotechs. And this one did give you a win opportunity, but you really want to assess your, you know, what is the upside downside risk of something like this? And do you really think that from... You know, if it goes up 20%, do you think it's going to run up another, you know, significant leg from there? Uh, I would say that if you were bold enough to play this at all, you would have been wise to, you know, keep a trailing stop loss on the, you know, off the debut, let it run up a little bit, get your stop loss in, raise it as it rises, and take a quick profit. If you got greedy on this one, you know, you ended up getting, getting hurt. Uh, the other one that I liked this week, uh, simply because it was super low float and Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's, for some reason, has been getting a lot of positive attention. Uh, the FDA, I forget the ticker, but approved an Alzheimer's drug earlier, a few months ago, that you know, some doctors said it wasn't ready. Anyway, the stock ran, and since then, almost everything. Yeah, that was, uh, I think it was ALZ. Uh, well, well, there's a couple. Uh, Casava has the one with the uh, with the data that may or not may or may not uh, be good. But oh man, I'm blanking on the. Uh, it was like A L H Z or A L Z H or something. Oh gosh, chat! I, I know the chat knows. Anyway, keep going. Okay. But I, I, oh, I forget what that what that biotech is. Yeah, the point is, I think it is ALZH. Um, the point is that Alzheimer's plus low float has been kind of like a hot trade. So this one had, I think, 3 million. Yeah, 3.35 million. I think they upped it to um, 
3.7 million. So it, very it was, low. It was, bio, it was Biogen. Biogen. Thank you. Russell. Oh, Biogen too. Biogen. Okay. I think there was also okay. So bio. So, so the point being, Alzheimer's plus low float. That's sort of trendy. That's sort of you know it's super low float. This was a good opportunity. I missed it because I tried to undercut. I saw everything you know dipping a little bit off the debut. So I said, okay, well I'll go to try to you know snipe a little 11.85 entry. Didn't get it, and it ran. Uh, you know, it, it looks better than it was. I mean, ultimately, this is a dollar fifty win, so it didn't even make the two point you know win that I'm usually targeting. But it was a pretty safe play. I mean, if you got in and kept the trailing stop loss, maybe you got stopped out on this big downward wick here, but you still took you know a fifty cent or you know a dollar win here. Maybe you let it ride a little bit. Maybe sit thirteen fifty. There was no point in this where you realistically would have gotten hurt. So it was a good play if you took it. And it's just another good example of low flow plus something buzzworthy. And these are the kind of plays that, especially in a cold market, these are still, you know, still opportunities to take wins in the IPO world. So one of the takeaways for the last couple of weeks is when the market is cold, don't be too bold. Like, you know, don't just, there are times when the market's hot where it seems like every IPO goes up. And it's almost like, well, just, you know, put your boat in the ocean and it's going to you know rise with the tide. When the market is soft and we're in the midst of a correction, it's really a time to be extra cautious. And one of the other signs of this is when you start seeing multiple IPOs, kind of like brand name IPOs getting pulled. Uh, we saw iFit last week. We saw um, a couple others the week before that got pulled. And we've just seen a lot of brand name IPOs that normally would go live get pulled or delayed. And the reason is they say adverse market conditions. But what that really means is they went out to a bunch of investors, you know, the big name money players and said, hey, do you want to buy our stock? And they said, well, we're not really like buying a lot of stuff right now. And we're not super excited what you're offering. So, you know, we'll take a pass. And enough of them say that they're going to say, well, now's not the right time for us to do an IPO. Um, so when you see a lot of IPOs getting pulled or pricing below range, downsizing their offering, you know, or even debuting below the IPO price, which is something we really didn't see a lot of like earlier in the year or last year when the IPO market was super hot, it's time to be cautious. And during this time, I'm going to focus my efforts on low float hype memes or longer price, you know, longer positions in underpriced IPOs. So we saw back in, I think it was August, we saw a bunch of IPOs. It didn't do particularly well on the debut, uh, but then once the market warmed up again, it was like you got a huge discount on them and they just ran, you know, really hot. You know, they did really nice runs from there. And those are some of the opportunities I might be looking for. And there's one in specifically this week that I'm that I think kind of All fits right. that category. Late on us. Late on us. We'll get there. Let's uh, some of these will blow through because we've. Like HCTI, I think we've covered this every week for the last three weeks. Cloud and data management software for healthcare at life. So the revenue, you know, nothing too particularly exciting. Gross profits, not particularly exciting. Uh, they got a trifecta of negative on the operating loss, net income, and cash flow. And the only thing exciting is that, or interesting, is that they reduced the float from 9 million shares to 4.62 million shares. So now this has gone from, well, you know, not particularly big, but not low enough to run on its own to hmm, under 5 million shares. Now I have to watch it and see, are people talking about this on Twitter? Are people talking about this on FinTwit? Are people like talking about 
this in social media because it doesn't take a lot for a 4.62 million share float to run. But then again, it's still selling on Webull after three weeks and cutting the share float in half. So if people get allocations of, you know, 50% of what they've requested or even, you know, 30% or more of what they requested, it's probably not, you know, all that interesting. And in this market, I think we got to take a pass on this one. Uh, BioFrontera, this is some kind of skincare for overexposure to the sun, which I can't quite tell if it's sunburns or uh, skin cancer, but their financials are not interesting at all. Uh, they are slightly rebounding now that we're coming out of the pandemic. And the only thing interesting here is 3 million shares float. Unfortunately, 3 million shares and super low floats have not necessarily done well for companies that aren't in some kind of interesting market. And I don't think skincare for the sun uh, you know, sounds like sunscreen or I don't know. It just doesn't sound particularly exciting unless I see a lot of people getting exciting about it, excited about it. I'm just not going to try to touch this one. Avid Exchange, accounts payable software. So software as a service for accounts payable. Revenue is up 33% in six months ending June 30th. Gross profits up 52%. So those are pretty like pretty positive uh, growth numbers. But in recent tr the recent trend has been we need growth number, either really, really strong growth numbers or we need growth numbers with operating profit, net income, and cash flow, or moving very close to those. Without that, we've seen investors kind of shrug them off. We've seen the market being not that interested. I've never heard about Abbott Exchange, so it's not in something that is particularly exciting to me. And with negatives across kind of the three, you know, that that trifecta, uh, the financial baseline trifecta, um, even with the kind of moderate float of 22 million shares, I'm just not convinced. I don't have any conviction that this is going to run. And there are other plays that you know, will, will demand my attention this week if I'm going to play anything. Okay, Lucid. Sorry, it's not the EV company. It's just a diagnostics company. It's a device for testing esophageal cancer indicators, esophageal maybe cancer indicators. It's not generating any revenue yet because their device is not uh, FDA approved yet. The underwriter is not a company that I'm particularly familiar with. So we're not seeing like Bosted or Network One Financial or even Maxim or Think Equity. So none of these kind of like gimmicky underwriters that sometimes indicate that they might do something kind of manipulative with the price. Uh, the float is very low with 5 million shares. But again, unless people mistake this for Lucent Motors, which I doubt they will, um, this is a pass for me. IHS. This is IHS Group. Uh, this is kind of interesting. It's a they buy and manage communication towers, so cell phone towers, particularly in emerging markets. They just bought a big contract in Brazil, or they bought like a thousand towers in Brazil. They just bought a thousand towers in Kuwait. Um, and as we know, you know everybody uses cell phones, so it's a pretty good industry to be in. Uh, revenue only up 15% in the six, you know, the past six months, but gross profits are up 60% in the last six months on gross margins of 47%. It's a pretty healthy growth metric for a company that is in that, you know, has that positive trifecta across the financial baselines. They have positive operating profit, positive net income and cash flow. Uh, so this is kind of the, you know, I mean, cell phone towers are the thing behind the thing that is mobile phones. 
until we get significant service coming through from satellites, towers are the way that the world connects to you know, each other through their mobile devices. So one red flag is that of the kind of conservative float of 22.5 million shares, 4.5 million shares are being sold by existing shareholders. I always sort of wonder why the shareholders are selling now if they believe that the company and the IPO will be very hot. And it definitely means that there will be more liquidity than, you know, because a float of 22.5 million shares, that's what they're floating to, you know, the IPO sales. They're selling that to the institutional buyers, to the hedge funds and the big money who they are hoping is are going to hold most of those shares and not, it's not 22.5 million shares are always going to be traded on that first day. But when we see 4.5 million shares being sold by existing shareholders, those shares to me tend to make it to the market on the first day. So I like this. I like everything about this except that one, um, that one piece there. So I have to watch that. I do like this though. This is profitable, growing, and you know, cash flow positive. So this has this checks the boxes, ticks the you know, ticks the check boxes. So I like this one. I have a star next to it, and I'll be watching it through the week. GitLab. This is this is one of those tech companies. Oh wait, it, it, this is this week. Is GitLab? Yeah. Oh, this is exciting. I'm excited yes. for this one. And and I think it's you know with uh, with merit. This one is fits that model of well, if it's going to debut in a cold market, and we might actually get a good price for a longer hold for this. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with this, this is kind of the main competitor to GitHub. So Git is a version control kind of software repository used in you know for developing software. Uh, this is something I know a little bit more about than some of the other things because I am a software developer in my uh, in my day job. And Git is basically a service that you know most development companies are going to use when you have multiple developers working on a software platform. You have to keep track of who's taking a piece of the software out, working on it, test it, you know, and then manage the kind of re-implementation of the work that they've done into that base code. And the main, you know, software used for that is Git. And then the two big platforms for it are GitHub, which is uh, was bought out by Microsoft, and then GitLab. So GitLab has some advantages over GitHub in that it's more customizable. So for larger companies and larger projects, uh, that can be very helpful. Maybe I don't want to use the workflow that GitHub kind of prescribes to you. And a lot of people have been moving towards GitLab. Revenue is up 69% in the last six months. Gross profits up 67% in the last six months. So this is the kind of thing where the market often says, oh, and gross margins of 87%, you can see how this can scale with, you know, with growth. And the only you know, downside, but you kind of expect it in a company like this who's trying to grab market share, you know, the losses across cash flow, operating profits, and a little bit of a cash flow, operating profits, and um, should I duplicated that. I don't mean that. I mean uh, net income. This should be the last one. So those losses are kind of digestible when you have revenue of this magnitude in a company that is kind of a you know, very hot and the, the growth in this, you know, in this industry is obvious for the next, you know, as long as we're using software and developing software. 
Uh, what I also like about this is they're only floating 10.4 million shares. So this is one of those IPOs that is likely to get priced above range. I think that they're saying 48 to 50 is the price range. They'll probably increase that by the time this goes live on Thursday. And then they'll probably price the IPO above that. And then it'll debut at like 70 or 80. Nice. And, you know, I still like it. It's the kind of play where even if it does a day one dip, you have a very good day, chance of a day two recovery. And I think an even better chance that with just 10.4 million shares, you see, you know, you see this move up from the debut. So this is, and if it doesn't, this is one of the, I mentioned earlier that the debuts that came in the colder market back in, um, you know, August, a lot of them ran up when things warmed up, or not in August, sorry, in May, May, June. A lot of things warmed up when the market kind of came back to life a little bit there uh, before the September dip. So right, if, we're yeah. up, against, up against the clock here, Matt. Do, do, do we All have right, any, any more? A couple, but let's go quick. We'll go quick. Okay. This one, I don't really like it. It's some, um, you know, unimpressive financials. Think equity is the underwriter, which is kind of hit and miss. Super low float, though. So who knows? Keep an eye on it. Singulate uh, in from last week, got rescheduled, yeah. improved drug delivery for ADH ADHD treatments. Um, very low float. I don't really want to touch another biotech at this point. Augmetics, this is patient care documentation. It's like speech to text documentation for doctors. It's kind of interesting because it could get docs comparison. It is an uplisting, which I don't usually like. The numbers, you know, they have good growth, losses across, you know, the trifecta and a pretty low float. Maybe keep an eye on it, but not 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 super exciting. My focus this week will be on IHS and GTLB, and still watching uh, this one. We can skip. Still watching pets. Something's going on there. Boasted is involved. Just you know, check my tweets if you're interested in that one. We got cut off when we were talking it last week, but if we got to go, we got to go. Market's coming. Opens in three minutes. Yep. Sign up for the newsletter. I'll have more on that there. Uh, IPOWarriors.com. And uh, that's a wrap for me, Spencer. Thank All you. All right. Matt Hammond, thanks a lot. Joins us every Monday to give us a preview, a recap and a preview of what's to come in the IPO calendar. That's a wrap for us here today. David Live is uh, David, David Green is live now on our channel. The stream will end a redirect to him. Please remember all the information from our show is meant to be used as informational purposes, not for investing or trading advice. I promise, I promise I'll have a camera back later today. I'm getting uh, my laptop uh, from the office, which has more functionality than my <laughs> crappy MacBook Air. So there's that. Uh, thanks, everyone, for bearing with me. Thanks to uh, Tim. Thanks to Matt. Thanks to all of you in the chat. Hit that like button, please, and thank you. And I'll catch you guys later. Have a good good day, and uh, good luck at the Open. Did you know nearly all stock price changes of 10% or more result from a single news headline? That's right. News headlines have a unique ability to drive stock prices up or down. These news catalysts create trading opportunities every day. All you need is a little help to reach out and take them. And if you're looking to grow your portfolio, it doesn't matter if your investment budget is small or big. 
an easy-to-read stream of news headlines will increase your opportunities to profit from price changes in the stock market, consolidate a knowledge-based investment strategy, and grow your portfolio. All you need is Benzinga Pro and its powerful news alerts, price tracking, and portfolio monitoring to make a positive change in your trading performance. We've already helped thousands of retail traders across the world, and they could not be happier. Increase your market knowledge, boost your exposure to big movers, and make informed trades before major price changes. The opportunities are all around you. Subscribe now, and we'll skyrocket your portfolio today. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.